541, if you would. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, I, I, sometimes I like to start out with a song, um, especially a song that goes along with the theme um, of my lesson. And so it kind of gets our hearts ready, you know. I remember one time somebody said to me, hey, what do you think about the music ministry of a church? And I said, you know, um, the music ministry of a church to me is what I call the John the Baptist. You say, well, what is, what is that? Well, John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for the Lord. And the Lord is the Word of God. Jesus is the living Word, and we have the written Word. And so, to me, the song service, if you will, is a good way of preparing our hearts, especially when the song is also in tune with the message or the lesson. And so it kind of gets us ready for it, if you will. And, uh, and so we're going to sing this morning, Set My Soul Afire, because we're going to be talking in Sunday school this morning about the Word of God. So I want to sing a little bit about that this morning. 541, let's sing together, Set My Soul Afire. Set my soul afire, Lord, for thy holy word. Burn it deep within me, let your voice be heard. Millions grope in darkness in this day and hour. I will be your witness, fill me with thy power. Set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. Make my life a witness of thy saving power. Millions grope in darkness, waiting for thy word. Set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. Set my soul afire, Lord, for the lost in sin. Give to me a passion as I seek to win. Help me not to falter, never let me fail. Fill me with thy spirit, let thy will prevail. Set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. Make my life a witness of thy saving power. Millions grope in darkness, waiting for thy word. Set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. Set my soul afire, Lord, in my daily life. Far too long I've wandered in this day of strife. Nothing else will matter but to live for Thee. I will be Your witness as You live in me. Set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. Make my life a witness of Thy saving power. Millions grope in darkness. Good. Set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. I'm going to do one more song, if we can, and I'm going to do, let's see, Wonderful Words of Life. I'm going to find that real quick, unless somebody's got it on their mind. Wonderful Words of Life, 359, 359. Again, this is another uh, hymn that has to do with the Word of God. The one set my soul afire is that, 
God's word would set our souls afire, not only for our sake, but for the sake of those that we need to minister to. Amen? 359 wonderful words of life. And that's what the Bible is. Amen? Wonderful words of life. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty, teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Christ the Blessed One gives to all wonderful words of life. Sinnerless to the loving call, wonderful words of life. All so freely given, wooing us to heaven. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Sweetly echo the gospel call, wonderful words of life. Offer pardon and peace to all, wonderful words of life. Jesus, only Savior, sanctify forever. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Amen. Good singing this morning. Amen. Well, let's get into the wonderful words of life this morning. If you have a Bible, would you please turn uh, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 2. 2 Timothy, chapter number 2. Again, this auditorium looks absolutely beautiful. It looks absolutely beautiful. Praise the Lord. I love the new pulpit. Amen. Boy, this is handleable. You know what I mean? For a preacher, you can kind of get on there, you know. And they even upgraded a clock. Amen. Up here is a, is a nice clock and even have it mounted. Amen. And I think the, they put the time a little bit bigger. Amen. Do you remember they used to have the watch up here? Amen. And uh, so anyway, it's, it's a definitely a beautiful place. We thank the Lord for it and thank God for this church, and it's been here for as long as it's been here. This pastor and his family has been here as long as they've been here. We thank God for that. Amen? Second Timothy chapter number 2. I want to I speak a little bit in Sunday school. Um, I want to talk about the Word of God. And by the way, I think that's a good topic for Sunday school. Amen? Uh, the Word of God. Amen? Uh, you and I, thank God, are privileged to have the Word of God. Amen? to have God's Word in our hands and uh, even to have the opportunity to get it in our hearts, amen? What a wonderful, wonderful thing this precious book is. I want to speak to you this morning. Um, I don't know how much of it will accomplish. I usually have more than I need to say, amen? Um, some would say I say more than I need to say, but nonetheless, um, usually I have more than need to say, but I want to talk to you about the believer's obligation concerning God's Word the believer's obligation concerning God's Word. Now, when I say the believer, I'm talking about saved people, amen? And by the way, that's what makes people saved, believing. That's it, only believe, amen? And that's the wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm so glad that we don't have to do anything 
to earn our salvation. Amen? We know according to Scriptures, the only thing we have to do to be saved is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, if there was ever an opportunity for God to tell people how to be saved, it would be when the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, verse number 30, said to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Boy, there, there's a question. Wouldn't that be nice if people today would be asking that question to you and I? Wouldn't that be nice? Amen? You know, one of these days I'm going to develop a message on questions that should be asked by people. What must I do to be saved should be the first question that people would, should ask. Amen? Wouldn't that be nice? And then how about another question? Hey, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Amen? And so there are some good questions that should be asked. When Paul the apostle was asked by the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? It was then and there, by the way, God chose Paul the apostle to write most of the New Testament. If there was anybody who knew the message of the gospel and salvation, it was Paul the apostle. In fact, if you study the book of Galatians, Paul said, look, let me tell you something. He said, the Lord gave me the gospel that I preach. He said, the Lord gave it to me directly what message to preach. Because he was being challenged on, on this gospel of salvation being by faith and faith alone. They were saying, no, you need to be circumcised and you need to keep the law. No, 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 no. He said, let me tell you, I got the message directly from the Lord. By the way, if any other messenger, any other angel give you a message contrary to the simple gospel, let him be accursed. And so if there was anybody who understood how to be saved and what a person must do to be saved, it was Paul the apostle. Is that correct? That one question, what must I do to be saved? Now, the answer that Paul is going to give gives an opportunity for him to lay it out, let me tell you, plain and simple. If baptism was a part of salvation, well, then Paul needs to throw that in there in that verse. If church membership was a part of salvation, well, then Paul the apostle, he needs to throw that in there at that, at that question. When a person asks a simple question, what must I do to be saved? You need to give a simple, straightforward answer, especially if you got the message from God to give. And let me tell you what Paul said. He said one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And by the way, he even adds the thought, and so can your household do the same thing. They can believe and be saved too. Amen? He had said nothing else. So people that are saying, well, no, you got to be baptized to be saved and you got to do this to be saved and do that to be saved. Well, they need to inform Paul the apostle who got his message directly from the Lord. Amen? By the way, this is why I'm glad we have the Word of God. I'm not depending on a religious organization to tell me what to believe. Can I get a witness on that one? I know it's Sunday school and we got, but still, I'll ask for a witness anyway, amen? My soul's salvation, my eternity, 
when I take my last breath in this life and I slip away into eternity. It's all hinged on what I believe about this word right here. The wonderful words of life. Amen? When I speak this message, those of us that are saved because we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Amen? We have an obligation concerning the Word of God. And I want to start with the first obligation, and that is this, 2 Timothy 2.15. One of the first obligations you and I as believers have concerning the Word of God is we are obligated to study God's Word. We're obligated to study God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, look at verse number 15, and I, and I don't doubt, by the way, that if maybe everyone in here has already heard this verse, and that's Okay. Paul said in Philippians to the Philippian believers, he said, listen, for me to say the same thing, he said, don't bother me. He said, but it's safe for you. Amen? We need to keep, reiteration is the key to learning. Amen? 2 Timothy 2.15, study. There's the word. By the way, they say that word simply means diligence because study and diligence is the same thing. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, by the way, I will say this. I like to teach and preach in the context. Contextually speaking, this is a message for the leaders, the pastor, the leaders of the church. See, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's a leader in ministry. Now, granted, I believe by way of application, every believer is obligated to study the word of God. Amen. Because how are you going to know that you're getting the truth from the one that's studying it if you're not studying it? But contextually speaking, the stress and the strain of this verse is upon the leader of the church. Amen? Why? He's to study to be approved unto God. And by the way, may the leaders study to be approved unto God, not approved by man. I'm not trying to have a doctrine that's approved by men. I need to be approved by God concerning the Word of God, not man. Amen. And so the study of the Scriptures needs to be in sincerity. Dear Lord, I want the truth, whether it's against me or not. Amen. A real man of God, a real Christian will say, tell me the truth even if it hurts. Amen. Because I really want the truth. So the man of God, really in this verse, is to study to show himself approved unto God so that he can be, get this, a workman. You see, the man of God is a workman for the Lord Jesus Christ. The pastor is a workman. He's a worker. He's a minister. People get up and they go to their place of employment. Some are mechanics. And they get their mechanic box with their tools in it. They put their overalls on if they still wear them anymore, I don't know. And they go in there and they get into the grease and the grime and they do whatever they do and, and that's what they do. That's their work. The man of God grabs his toolbox and by the way, his toolbox is not just something I don't think you can hold one book in your hand. If you go to the pastor's office and his home, there's shelves of tools. And when I'm saying to the man of God, he really gets into it. By the way, if he doesn't get into it, it doesn't get into him. 
And if it doesn't get it into him, it ain't coming out to you. Amen? So a real workman is somebody who works and labors in the word of God. In fact, the Bible says they deserve double honor because they work in doctrine in the word of God. And so a real workman, now granted, there are some preachers that aren't workmen in the word of God. They like to buy the sword of the Lord, and they like to get the messages from there. And they don't have to study. They'll just take whatever three-point outline somebody else put in there. They'll get up here, and they'll try to convey that. But the thing is, you usually know that because it doesn't really reach much. But when a man of God gets into the Word of God to the point that it gets into his heart, when he comes up, he shares it from his heart. When you speak from the heart, you usually reach a heart. And by the way, that's why the minister as a workman, he also needs a vacation. Pray for your pastor to have a vacation, a real vacation. One of the hardest things for ministers, and I've seen this over my father-in-law's life for years, he would go away and some situation would have to draw him back. He'd go up to the mountains for a vacation. He'd have to run in for a funeral or run in for this and and so many things. Now, I'm not saying that that's, and that's a part of life, no doubt about it, but as much as you possibly can, help your pastor with his vacation, amen? If it's something that can wait, let it wait, amen? And I think your pastor's still on vacation right now, amen, even today, at least trying to be. That he might be a workman, needeth not to be shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, properly Cutting the Word of God, amen? See, the Word of God is very, very big, and I am a dispensationalist. I believe that every scripture fits into a certain category. I believe in application of the Word of God, no doubt about it, but you have to properly study the Word of God to properly interpret the Word of God, amen? You've got people running around saying, hey, you can lose your salvation. Hey, you can lose your salvation. And you say, well, where do you get that from? And they say, hey, David in Psalm 51, man, he prayed, take not your spirit from me. Now, if you're unlearned and untrained and you're a baby in the word of God, you might get scared. And you might think, oh, no, I can lose my salvation. I can lose the Holy Spirit. When you're a student of the Word of God, you know how to rightly divide the Word of truth, and you understand God's dealing with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is different than His dealings with the church in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon an individual to do a certain thing, and then He could leave them. It didn't mean that they were unsaved. It just meant that they were without the power needed to do what God wanted them to do. Samson had the Spirit of God come upon him. He did great things, but he continued on in his sin. I don't believe he lost his salvation, but he lost the power of the Spirit of God. In fact, he didn't even know he lost it. And that sometimes is the insidious thing. Sometimes we can drift away from the Lord and the things of the Lord and get to a point where we're so far, we've lost contact, we've lost power, we've lost everything, don't even know it. And you remember what happened when Delilah said, Samson, the Philistines be upon his face. He got up and he said, well, I'll just go out there and I'll do like I did before and I'll just whip these people and that'll be it. But I believe it's Judges 16, 20. It said he wished not, he knew not that the spirit had left him. And he went out there in the flesh trying to accomplish a work of God and he lost I'm so glad that we have a preacher here who's a student of the Word of God. 
He'll say, no, you can't lose the Spirit of God now because when you look at the New Testament of which we are, the New Testament believers, you and I are sealed. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the seal. He's the promise of eternal life for us. The day that we got engaged to the Lord, we've been given a down down payment. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and He's with us, and He's in us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Amen? He's our seal. We are sealed until the day of redemption, until the Lord takes us back. Amen? You and I know that because we rightly divide the word of truth. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters of Christ. There are so many religious organizations that do not rightly divide the word of truth. Do not. Amen? Thank God for a pastor who studies the scriptures. But listen, it's not just the pastor's responsibility to study, study the scriptures. You and I need to be students of the word of God. And by the way, let me say this. I commend each and every one of you that are here this morning. Because what you're actually doing is you're putting yourself in a place where you're being a student of the word of God. You're studying the word of God right now. Now, some of you have full-time jobs and you have very hectic lives and you have a minimal amount of time through the week to be reading and studying the Scriptures. Am I right on that? That's the truth. But thank God for a church and a pastor who provides an opportunity. In fact, many people call the Sunday school time the study hour. You understand what I'm saying? Well, it's a time where we come together and the preacher as a teacher, because I believe the pastor slash teacher is the same, He has the opportunity to share the Word of God. And as he teaches the Word of God, we're able to sit there with our own Bibles in our hands and we're able to think and learn as well. Amen? That's a wonderful, wonderful privilege we have to study the Word of God. Now what I'd like to do for a few more moments, I want to say this. The reason we need to study God's Word is that we might understand God's Word. Now, now I know that might sound really stupid. Let me me give it to you as simple as I can. I, I believe this to be true. You can read the Word of God, and basically, you'll, you'll see what it's saying. But you have to study the Word of God to understand what it means. You understand what I'm saying? There's a big difference. I can take the Word of God and I can just simply read through it and read through it and read through it and read through it. I can, in fact, read through it so many times that I actually start memorizing what it says. And I can even quote some things. But there are many people that read it, can memorize a little bit of it, can even quote some of it, and then... Somebody who understands it will come along and say, do you understand what you just said? And they might say, well, what do you mean? And that person would explain to them what that verse means, and they will say, oh, I never knew that. Why? They never understood it in the context. See, many people quote verses, a lot of times they quote them out of context. But the strength of a verse is its context. And so studying the Word of God is saying, hey, I'm not satisfied with just simply reading it anymore. I, I, the milk is not enough for me anymore. Amen. 
I mean, as newborn babes, we desire the sincere milk of the word and thank God for the milk, for the little simple things that we can get. But that milk is just getting us stronger and bigger. But after a while, that milk is not enough. Man, we get hungry for what? Meat. Something with more substance. Amen? Something we could sink our teeth into, if you will. Let me give you keys to understanding God's word. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of 2 Timothy. I'm sorry, not 2 Timothy. We're already there. Uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, please. As we talk about our obligation to study the Word of God, I want to I just give you some thoughts here this morning on keys to understanding God's Word. What are, what, are, what are some keys to understanding God's Word? Now, I want to be a, a man who understands the book as much as I possibly can. By the way, I don't know that there's anybody apart from the Lord that understands it all. <laughs> amen? By the way, that's why we are ever learning, amen? But thank God, unlike the unsaved apostates, we can come to the knowledge of the truth, amen, in great measure. But when I study the scriptures, there are some scriptures that great men don't quite see eye to eye on it. Because even great men don't comprehend it all. And by the way, there are some times that it's not time for you to understand something, so the Lord don't let you see it. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. I want you to see, if you would please, I'm going to give you now just some keys to understanding the Word of God. What are the keys to understanding the Word of God? Now, here's the first key to understanding the Word of God. Here it is, plain and simple, being saved. Until a person is saved, they will not understand the Word of God, amen? The first thing an unsaved person needs to understand is the gospel message. Amen? Paul the apostle was told by the Lord in Acts, I believe, 18, he said that God called him to the Gentiles to open their eyes, which means to give them understanding, amen, to turn them from darkness to light. The gospel message, the gospel light, is the first thing that unsaved people need to understand, amen? In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle said, I believe verse number 3 and 4, if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, lest the light, the illumination, the understanding of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. Amen? Amen. The first thing people need to understand and can understand is the gospel message. Now, when a person gets saved, they understand the gospel, they believe the gospel, then because they're saved, now their eyes can be opened even further. In fact, I said to go to 2 Corinthians, right? I was wrong. Go to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want you to look with me, if you would, please, in verse number 12. Look at verse number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 12. Now we have received, Paul said, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. That's the Holy Spirit, right? That we might what? 
know the things that are freely given to us. He's talking about we that have gotten saved, we've received the Spirit of God that we might know. Look at verse number 13. Which things also we speak not in uh, words with man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Ghost teaches, uh, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Look at verse 14, if you would. But the natural man, that would be the unsaved man, the only thing he is is, is a human being. He's not spiritual at all. He's not saved. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. He can't know the things of God because they are what? spiritually discerned. You see, the first thing a person has to be in order to understand the Word of God is they have to be saved. Because you can't understand the things of the Spirit of God until you have the Spirit of God, which you get when you get saved. Amen? In fact, the author of the Bible is the Spirit of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God or God-breathed. Amen? It takes the Spirit of God to open the eyes of the believer to see and understand the things of God. Amen? In fact, I want you to look at verse number 9 of the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 2. Look at verse number 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard. Now, by the way, I believe often this is misquoted. Uh, they think it's talking about every believer not understanding and so on about heaven and the things of heaven. That's not what it's saying. But as it is written, I have not seen, and what it's referring to is the human eye, apart from the Spirit of God, apart from salvation, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Look at verse 10. But God hath revealed them, these things that the man does not see and understand, God hath revealed them to who? Us, how? By his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. What is he saying? The human eye apart from Christ, the human mind apart from Christ, don't see and understand the things of God. You have to have the Spirit of God in order to see the things of the Spirit. Amen? This book is spiritually discerned. That's why you have to be saved to understand the Word of God. Amen? You have to be saved. Not only is being saved a key to understanding God's Word. Let, let me give you this next thought. I want you to get this. Being spiritual is a key to understanding the Word of God. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're going to understand being saved gives you the key to understanding. You have the potential to understand. Why? Because when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit, you have the author of the book. You have the one that can open your eyes to see and understand. But there are many saved people that don't live for the Lord. They live in darkness. By the way, when you're living in darkness, how much are you going to see? I believe being saved is one thing, being spiritual, a.k.a. being spirit-filled. You see, being saved is this. I have the spirit. I have the opportunity. Being spiritual is the spirit has me. And now he can help me to see and understand. Amen? Open my eyes 
that I may see. Glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hand the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Amen? Silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Spirit of God, illumine me. Amen? That's the song. The Holy Spirit is the teacher of the believer. Amen? In John 14, 26, Jesus said, He shall teach you all things. The Holy Spirit of God is the teacher of the believer. He's the one who opens the eyes and the mind and illuminates the believer. In fact, in 1 John 2.20, the Bible refers to him as the unction. We have an unction from God. That's the Spirit of God. And he teaches us all things. And then also in 1 John 2, verse number 27, he's referred to as the anointing. You have an anointing which teaches you. Amen? But I want to say this. We must be careful not to hinder the Holy Spirit from doing His working, His ministry of teaching us the Bible. We can hinder the Holy Spirit. Amen? We can hinder the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Ephesians 4.30, it says, Grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed on the day of redemption. Grieve not the Spirit of God. Let, let's turn to Ephesians for a moment, please. Ephesians chapter number 4, please. Ephesians chapter number 4. We can grieve the Spirit of God. Not only grieve Him, in fact, let me say this. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, it says, Quench not the Spirit. And, and, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 it comes after 1 Thessalonians 5.18. You, you put that together, didn't you? <laughs> you know what that says? The spy's not prophesying. The preaching, the teaching, the conveying of the word of God. Don't despise it. Quench not the spirit. You see, the word of God and the spirit of God go hand in hand. Quench not the spirit. What does it mean to quench something? Well, when I think of the Holy Spirit and I think of quenching, I think of fire. You see, the, one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit is fire, right? When I think of a fire and I think of quenching, I think of putting out the fire. You know, fire does quite a few things, right? Fire creates heat. By the way, and that's a good thing, right? God would rather us be hot than cold. Can I get a witness on that one? Do you know things are easy to break when they're cold? You want to break a hard lock? Freeze it. Freeze it and break it. Let me tell you how the devil can easily break many Christians. Get them cold first. Can I get a witness? Get them cold. But hot things are bendable, pliable, steel. How do you bend strong steel? Heat it up. When something's heated up, it's easily bendable. So, so fire, it, it could create heat, but it also creates light. And when it comes to the Spirit of God, He may be the heat of our life that makes us moldable and bendable to the will of God. But He's also the fire of our life that illuminates and helps us to see and understand. When you quench the Spirit, you put out the light. Amen? 
You put out the light. Look at Ephesians 4.30. I want you to see the context of this. Look at verse 30. Grieve not the, Spirit of, the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed in the redemption. Now, how, what are some of the things? I just want to give you the next two verses. Just lay out some things in the context, some things that quench the Spirit of God, some things that will hinder His Spirit from ministering to you and me and teaching us the Word of God. Let all bitterness, bitterness, Life is filled with circumstances and people that can create a lot of bitterness. Can I get a witness or am I the only one affected by this? We can get bitter over what happens or what doesn't happen. What we thought was going to happen, what we thought should have happened. We can get bitter, and bitterness can grieve the Spirit of God, can hinder that ministry. There have been many people came to church in bitterness, sat in the pew in bitterness, got nothing from it, and left in the same way, bitter. Amen? Now, what do you do if you're facing bitterness because of whatever? What you do is you tell the Lord the truth. Tell the Lord the truth. What do you think God's going to do with an honest saint? Dear Lord... This is what I thought, or this is what happened, and I am this way, and dear Lord, I'm wrong. And I pray for you to forgive me and help me. What do you think God's going to do? Amen? Well, you go to the Lord with a true sincerity and, and truth in the inward man, if you will, in your inward part. He's going to forgive you and help you. My father was an alcoholic. I didn't grow up in a normal home. I come from the city of Philadelphia, and I come from some of the worst neighborhoods in the city of Philadelphia. My mother raised five boys on welfare. I have a brother who passed away at 45 years old because he died of AIDS, because of drugs and prostitutes and stuff like that, who spent most of his youth and most of his life in jail. I have another older brother who thinks he has hepatitis C from his lifestyle, He's still alive, thank God. My father was never home. He hardly lived with us. The only time he ever came around was when he was drunk to break my mother's jaw or to break the windows. I grew up, I could not wait as a little boy to be strong enough and big enough to break his jaw. That's, that's what I wanted to do. You understand what I'm saying to you? Then somebody brought the gospel to my mother. Bethel Baptist Church started 38 years ago on a storefront on Frankfurt Avenue. One of the first homes they hit was my mother's apartment, the same block. From what I understand, she said the day they knocked on the door was the day she was ready to take all the volumes that she had. She was on volumes because of her nerves, because she had lost... A brother that would have been two, a year older than me was two years old. He got hit by a car by a guy on drugs in our neighborhood. Her, her sister had her head shot off by her, her um, brother-in-law. This all happened in 1968, I believe it was. 
My mother was so depressed and nervous and everything else, she was on volumes. That's all they could do. They didn't have the, the doctors in the world don't have the answer. They try to put you on cloud nine until they get it, and they never do. So she was tempted to take all the volumes that day and just, that's it, just end her life. The Lord sent the gospel to that door, and instead of giving up her life to death, she gave her life to Christ. And she got saved. And she made us get saved. He made us go to church as kids. I remember going about 10 years old and we went to that little church down there and just a Sunday school teacher telling us about Jesus loving us and how to be saved. And I'm so glad you just got to be a child to simply understand the gospel. In fact, children don't have to be adults to be saved. Adults have to be children to be saved. Amen? She got saved. We started to hear the gospel and get saved. And so on. what I'm telling you is I had a very tough, bitter life. When I got saved and I got right with the Lord and I started to get serious about the things of the Lord, my father's image would come to my mind and I would be bitter still. Unforgiving, hatred, all of it. As a believer. But God was dealing with me. I knew I wasn't right. I knew it was wrong. You know what I did? I told the Lord. I said, Lord, I know I'm wrong. Please forgive me. And please help me. And let me tell you something. I prayed that all the time. Do you know when I knew I was helped? When I stopped praying that. Do you know why I stopped praying that? Because it didn't bother me anymore. You understand what I'm saying here? I didn't even know it was such a, a transition. It was like, Lord, forgive me and help me. Lord, forgive me and help me. Lord, forgive me and help me. And then all of a sudden, you're not saying that because it's not bothering you anymore, which means you're not bitter about it anymore. Whatever comes up and bothers you, God, forgive me. Please help me. I know it's not right. God, forgive me. What are you doing? You're saying, Lord, I'm a human being, a sinful one at that, and I'm wrong, and I need your help because I can't forgive without your help. Amen? That's what you're doing. You're humbly saying, I am wrong, and I can't do it without your help. You tell some people, you got to forgive this one that offended you, and sometimes at that very moment, you tell them that, they say, I can't. I'll be honest with you, they can't. But through Christ they can. Through Christ they can. Amen? Look at verse number 30. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Look at verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Unforgiveness will hinder the Spirit of God from teaching you. Unforgiveness. Can't forgive somebody that offended you or won't forgive somebody that offended you. Amen? These are just the things that hinder. I want you to turn with me. I want you to show you a principle. Preacher, what time am I going to? Okay. I got a couple more minutes. Would you please turn with me to Proverbs chapter number one? Proverbs chapter number one. You say, Brother Matt, why are you sharing such intimate stuff? 
because I'm a saved brother in Christ who's trying to help anybody else that might have some problems too. Amen. Yes, that's right. If I can tell you how I got help, I can be a blessing to you. God help the preachers that are too prideful to tell people how they got help. How in the world do you think God's going to help other people by hearing how God helped you? You know, the church family is a family. One of the things we're supposed to do is help one another, encourage one another. You know what's encouraging to one another when you say, let me tell you how God helped me. Well, you encourage somebody else. Number one, that God did help you. That means they can help them. Amen? And maybe how it was done. Proverbs chapter 1. Let me show you, if you will. There's an Old Testament verse. It's not interpreted for you and I in the New Testament, but there's an application I want us to see. When it comes to the Spirit of God, He's the teacher. And our sinful lives can hinder us from learning. Proverbs 1.23. Notice what the proverb says. Turn you at my reproof. Now, I know Solomon's writing this, but one greater than Solomon is speaking. <laughs> Let's say God says to his people, when any, anytime God says, turn at my reproof, that means I'm telling you're wrong, turn around. It's about correcting things, is that right? Turn you at my reproof. Now, look what he says. If you do that, what, what happens? Behold, I will what? Pour out my spirit unto you. Now, again, this is the Old Testament economy where God would pour out his spirit, but I want you just to see a principle. So getting things right is the key to allowing the spirit to do a work, right? That's the essence of it. Right? What does he say when he, well, I'll pour out my spirit on you. What's the result of the spirit of God? Look at the next statement. I will make what? Known my words unto you. You see that? You see the Holy Spirit of God and the understanding of the word of God go hand in hand. Turn at my reproof. If there's something the Lord's dealing with you with, get it right, work at getting it right, and when you do, you'll not hinder the Spirit of God from teaching you. I want to show you something else. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalms chapter number 32. This is just something that came to my mind that I just want to bring to you. Psalm 32. Keys to understanding the Bible. Being saved, being spiritual or spirit-filled. These are keys to understanding the Bible. Psalm 32. I, I, by the way, this is the psalm that David gave his testimony about when, when he sinned with Bathsheba, had Uriah killed and did all that he did. He went for at least nine months without getting right with God. And in this chapter, he talked about how miserable that life was when he wasn't right with God. In fact, uh, Psalm 32, look at verse number um, 3, what I kept silence. He's saying, I didn't confess my sin. My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned to the drought of summer. Then he finally said, I acknowledged my sin unto thee. Mine iniquity have I not hid. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. In other words, David's saying, there was a time when I didn't get things right with God, and let me tell you, it was miserable. Finally, I acknowledged my sin, confessed, and you know what he did? He forgave me. Look at verse 8. Look what God says to this man who got right. I will instruct thee and what? Teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. It's amazing how God said this now to a man who finally got things right. Sometimes Christians are so wrong with the Lord, God can't even lead them and guide them and teach them and direct them. But you get things right with God, things can open up. Finally, you can see which way to go and so on. Amen? Keys to understanding the Bible, number one, being saved. Number two, being spiritual, a.k.a. spirit-filled. Let me give you another thought, and I'm not going to go deep into this. Being scriptural. Being scriptural. Now, now get this. I said being spiritual is being spirit-filled. Get this. Being scriptural is being scripture-filled. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why is being scripture-filled going to help me to understand the Bible? Here's the very simple principle. Scripture interprets Scripture. If I'm trying to understand one text and I'm filled up with all kinds of Scripture, I got a great opportunity of putting one and one together. Amen? Psalm 119, 130, uh, the entrance of thy words give light. They give understanding unto the simple. Psalm 19, 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Scripture interprets Scripture. When you're reading and studying and pondering, if you've got all kinds of other Scripture knowledge, it can help you to come to better conclusions. Speaking about conclusions, oh, I still got five minutes. One day, I was, when I was a pastor in the city of Philadelphia, I was studying the Scriptures, and I was reading through the scriptures, and in fact, I wasn't. I was reading through Matthew 12. Now, there are some chapters that just give great outlines for preachers. I mean, you'll read the chapter. In Matthew 12, there's three statements, and it talks about Jesus. Jesus says, behold, one greater than the temple is here. And then a few verses down, behold, one greater than Jonah is here. He's speaking to himself. And then he says, behold, one greater than Solomon is here. He's speaking to himself. Three times in that chapter, he referred to himself as one greater than something. That is an outline laid out for for a, for a preacher. It's already laid out. I'm reading that. And, you know, you get to a point, you're like, hold on a minute. It's a good outline but what, what exactly does this mean? So you start to chew on it. You start to think about it. By the way, if I didn't read and study the Old Testament, I could never understood some things I understand now. So here's what I did. I said, hold on a minute. What does the temple represent? The priesthood. The priesthood, is that correct? Jonah was what? No. He was a prophet. Solomon was what? A king. Hold on a minute. Prophet, priest, king. Is that correct? 
Never in the Bible did one person ever have three, all three of those positions. There were some that were prophet, priest. There were some that were priest and uh, king and prophet. Never, but, but there's one. One greater. The anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, is the prophet, priest, and king of Israel. Had I never read the Old Testament and maybe understood these things, I'd have never understood. See, these scriptures help me to understand. That's, oh, that's what he's saying. I'm greater priest. I'm a greater prophet. I'm a greater king because I'm the prophet, priest, and king. I'm the Messiah, the Christ. You understand how scripture interprets scripture? Let me give you the last thought and I quit. Keys to understanding the Bible. Being saved, being spiritual, spirit-filled, being scriptural, scripture-filled, and then finally, get this, being prayerful. Prayerful. See, what does that mean? That means this. I've heard people say, oh, if I could only understood what Paul meant. If I could only understood what Peter meant. You know, that's not my concern. My concern is if I could only understand what God meant. Understand what I'm saying to you? You see, prayerful is this, trying to get a hold of the author. I can't get a hold of Peter, Paul, or John, or one of the, can I get a witness? But I can get a hold of one who's still alive, who is the author of the book. See, Psalm 119, 18 says this, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold, that I may see wondrous things out of thy law. My job is to study. That's the human possibility. But to pray and to depend on the divine possibility. Peter said to Jesus, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee. My father has. Jesus took the two men on the Emmaus road and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them the scriptures. You see, God can still pull us aside, open our eyes, expound the scriptures, and help us to see. Let's ask him for that help. Amen. Dear Lord, what do you mean by this? Please help me to understand. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gathering this morning, for this Sunday school hour. Oh, may our hearts be stirred and challenged to be students of the word of God. If anybody needs to be saved, may they know they can today by trusting thee and thee alone. And those of us that are saved, Lord, help us to be spiritual. Help us to be scriptural. Help us to be prayerful that we might truly understand the wonderful things of the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I like that new clock. It's bigger, too.